Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex, or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. I'm Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I'm a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, and a gender, sex, and relationship diversity therapist. And I am working my way through the erotic alphabet one letter at a time. I created this podcast to help you learn to express your desires, learn more about desires, spice up your relationships, and create those sizzling relationships that you have always wanted. I do this through solid science, real-life stories, and conversations with an exciting array of experts. Listen in weekly as I share key strategies that will help you choose the relationship style that works best for you and create exactly what you want and need. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and you can take advantage of the subscriber bonuses. And if you want to know more, head over to DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and sign up for my email list so that you can find out exactly what is going on in my world from week to week. But for now, come join me and enter my world of sex and relationships. See you inside. Hey everyone, welcome to the A to Z of sex or the A to Z of sex, depending on what country you're in. With me, Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee. I am a psychologist, sex and intimacy coach, accredited advanced gender, sex and relationship diversity therapist. And I've spent the last 30 plus years working with people to help them create and maintain incredible relationships that contain sizzling sex and without shame. We are working our way through the erotic alphabet one day at a time. And today the letter is B and B is for bottoming. And I'm joined by Richard Vitniorgu, who's an academic who teaches and researches in the field of gender and sexuality studies. He's currently leading a welcome-funded project exploring shame, stigma, and colorectal health for gay bottoms in collaboration with Dr. Jaime Garcia Iglesias, who's from the University of Edinburgh, and with the support of Azim Merchant, also University of Edinburgh. He has published widely on topics related to gay culture, masculinity, and women's writing, and in 2024, will publish a book on effeminacy, bottoms, and belonging with Emerald Press. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Laurie. Thank you. It's great to be here. So um, this is a topic that I think is incredibly important, but with, when we talk about colorectal health, I also want to talk a little bit about women. Um, I, it, because I don't know if you've seen the recent study in, in The Lancet about GPs. Yeah, it crossed my radar. Yeah, I did, I did have a little look. Yeah, I know. It's definitely a topic that is, has applicability to people of all genders, really. And, and we know that, you know, bottoming is on the rise for the people that aren't, all, you know, automatically associate with bottoming. It's often considered, you know, a, a gay man's thing. Yes. Beyond that, doesn't it? Yeah. So I definitely want to talk about that research study in terms of stigma, because I got asked to comment on it because I thought the language was horrific. I thought it was horribly stigmatizing. <laughs> um, but um, but we can talk about that later. Um, so let's first start with the basics for people who don't know. What is bottoming? OK, so 
if, if you know, if, if people just automatically imagine what bottoming is, it's receptive anal intercourse, if you want a kind of scientific term for it. But, um, you know, when we've been when we've been chatting to gay, bisexual and, and, and men who have sex with men, you know, receptive anal intercourse is a bit of a mouthful, if, if you pardon the pun. Um, and, you know, it's about sex, you know, if you want to call it that. Um, yeah. It's, uh, yeah, sort of cock goes in your, in your ass. But some, for some um, gay, gay guys particularly, you know, uh, as, as a bottom, you might also think of oral sex. So, uh, you know, sucking cock uh, would also be... You know, within the remit of, of uh, bottoming. bottoming. So, yeah, so it's not it's not explicit. You know, it's not sort of always about anal sex, although that is technically what it what it is really. What is most so it's it's really it's always it's being in the receptive role. Definitely, yeah, absolutely. And I think you know when you come back to, to shame or, or stigma, you know, there's there's so much sort of residual historical cultural shame attached to being in that receptive role, whether it's you know, um, oral sex or whether it's anal sex, you know, the, the two are often considered as the two sides of the same coin, really. And often you're expected to, if you do one, you're expected to do the other as well. Which I find really interesting because, the um, you know, I, I often hear men say, I, you know, I don't bottom. I never bottom. Right. Um, and, yeah. and when I get asked questions, I recently did on your Gator podcast and I had a list of questions that they that they collected from their listeners to answer. And um, one of them was, what do you do if neither of you wants to bottom? You know, I think that's funny because it's um, I think, in you know, sort of gay, gay mythology, if you like, that's a very rare situation. I mean, obviously, the main thing is is the joking around you know oh i got two bottoms what do you do you know <laughs> um i think the idea of potentially having two tops or two people who don't want to bottom um but but yeah i mean that's obviously a potential situation and of course now you've got the rise of, of sides you know what's what to mean aside you know people who don't who do, will want to abstain from anal sex altogether so you know one of the days where gay sex means anal sex definitely yeah, and so it's really, I mean, it's it, it's a complicated one. There's so much shame associated with it and so much stigma. Mm. Um, and and the idea of somehow that making you effeminate, which is mm. a, a big issue for many people. Absolutely. I mean, this is really interesting because there's been a lot of pushback since the 70s, really. You know, since you know, the Second World War, but since the 70s, the rise of, you know, kind of politicised gay, gay identity, a sense of collective self-awareness. There's been a massive pushback against this association of bottoming with effeminacy or gender non-conformity. And for a lot of, a lot of men, that has been a really good thing. You know, it has detached, if you like, your, your, your sex role from, from gender expression. But, you know, I'm interested in those, those um, guys that have been left behind by that march um, forward, you know, those, those kind of guys who, who, who do identify as, you know, not non-masculine or feminine or gender non-conforming and who enjoy bottoming. You know, where do they fit into this picture um, that's been created? Um, you know, that bottoming is either a very masculine thing or there's no particular sort of gender associations attached to it whatsoever. And so what are you, what have you been finding in your research? Well, I've been finding that, um, firstly, it's, um, although I come from a kind of cultural studies, literary studies background, I've been reading way beyond 
with my sort of disciplinary niche. And I think you've got to really um, with this. You know, I've been finding fascinating stuff in kind of ethnographic research, which has you know been going on since the 70s, really, and in non-Western parts of the world. You know, gay is still often associated as being a very Western thing, um, but there's been you know in in non-Western parts of the world, uh, bottoms have different kinds of identities. Um, you know that it, there perhaps isn't as much stigma attached to um, being non-conforming and and being a bottom. Yes, you might be a bit marginalised or thought of as a bit odd, but there's there's a cultural role for you right. in a way which I think has been lost in the West. And I think that's really fascinating. I'm interested in those guys in, in you know North America, Western Europe, who are searching for kind of like identity role models or historical references that they can say, oh, okay, I belong with that, that I resonate with that, that, you know, that's we're part of one sort of community, if you like, even though we, we span different kind of times at times or, or places. Uh, and I think, you know, that some of this is coming out in porn um, and in erotica, particularly online and social media like Tumblr and Twitter, um, great kind of places for people to share fantasies if you like but they're what I'm finding in these fantasies is that they're tapping into something which actually if you do some research has a lot of cross-cultural sort of um validity um so it so having that having the ability to find that role somewhere else yeah does that decrease the shame and the stigma because they can find a place to be, a place yeah. to, to sort of sit and identify? I'm finding some of that. I mean, it's just when people contact me on social media, to be honest, and say, I've read your stuff. I've really, I've really resonated with this. It's shown that I can be, I can identify, if you like, as a, as a fair bottom. And I know that in different, you know, I'm interested in the historical fairy and queen, for example. Yep. Um, yeah, and then but then there's also kind of non-Western examples in America, French pets, um, and you know, in India and South America as well. And I think it's just it's just raising awareness that you're not a, you're not alone and it's not a you know, gay people often criticize its equivalence, you know, the femme bottom as being a heteronormative kind of concept, you know, because you're you're the girl, you know, why would you want to be like a girl and replicating straight dynamics? But of course for some some people that's what they want you know yes. and yeah and, and it is yes it might replicate kind of straight dynamics but then also you have to ask well, what are straight dynamics it's just our idea of what they are you know? yeah and it, it never looks like a straight dynamic anyway so no, I, you know I think, I, so I find it so fascinating it's like well you're being heteronormative like yeah well, yeah there's no way you can be so <laughs> that's one of the other things I've been really kind of really interested in I mean you know you know, at school, you know, I was called like a fag or something. And, you know, people would, it was basically because, you know, I, was, I wasn't very butch, masculine, um, a bit effeminate. And I think, you know, some women will object to saying that men can be feminine. You know, and I think it's interesting to think about very kind of like almost male-specific ways that femininity can be refracted through. It's not the same necessarily as, we you know, femininity and and women and of course these are cult culturally led and, and direct yeah yeah think about the really kind of unique ways that gay men or kind of you know men who have sex with men kind of embody this kind of non-masculine 
self-presentation and how that connects with their sexual preferences. Yeah, no, and I, and I do think it's interesting since, since we have made the divide between gender and sexual expression much clearer, that it, it gives people more scope mm. to actually find something that really works for them. Exactly. Even if, of course, it might it might sort of um, uh, rankle some people. It might sort mm. of uh, make them a bit suspicious or a bit angry. And paradoxically, you know, one of the things we're doing is like scouring kind of Tumblr and different kind of, I guess, uh, pornographic social media sharing sites where you get part of the sexual fantasy is that there's somehow a natural equivalent in your gender and sexual expression. And to them, that's really erotic, actually. But, you know, because they are, you know, they're, they're femme and they're bottom, it, it's really important for them to think of them as being born in that way. But that's part of the sexual fantasy. It's like arousing that there is this thing. Of course, for others, it would be really, oh, my God, what are you doing? You know what? You can't make those kinds of assertions. But in the world of sexual fantasy, I don't want to say anything goes, but I mean, it's really interesting that this has become eroticized. Um, yeah. This kind of equivalent. Yeah, I, I find that fascinating. Um, I, do, I do kind of think anything goes in some ways. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it, it's it often end up explaining to people that fantasy is fantasy and it's mm. it, it's its own thing. It's got its own it, it's its own arousal and it, it's not necessarily a prelude to acting something no. out. That's true. That's true. I mean, for some people, it is, or it's a way of at least working out what do you want. What do you yes, want? you see, you see the mainstream stuff if you like, and what like porn studios are doing, and you think, hang on, you know, that I really don't resonate with that. I don't identify with that. And it is, it is definitely a way to work out. Okay, so what do I want? Um, and you're right. Sometimes it's based at the fantasy level. Um, it's, you know, as a researcher, I'm really interested in where those lines are. Um, well, I mean, so as a researcher, I mean, there are loads of women that watch gay porn. Mm. There are tons of women that watch gay porn that are completely turned on by gay porn that are clearly never going to act that yeah. out. Right? <laughs> it's not possible. Um, and don't even want to. So you'll have conversations mm. with people. Um, I always find it amusing that the, the gay women who watch gay male porn who would be like, never bring a penis near me, ever, yeah. right? <laughs> but I love watching cock uh, and I love watching two guys get yeah. it on and, right? And, and trying to figure out what actually is that. And um, I, I think it's wonderful. I think it's wonderful that you can find something completely mm. arousing that actually in the real world, you have no tap into. Absolutely. I mean, I think that can be, I remember when, you know, when I was growing up, you know, I thought I had, like, you know, crosses on girls. And then, well, I'm not, you know, like, you know what it's difficult as a teenager. It's so difficult. Yeah. Words on your feelings and what, what's happening. But then, of course, you know, ah, you know, because it's gay porn was so interesting. And I thought that's exactly what you were saying. I thought, okay, so maybe the fact that I like this kind of gay porn stuff was just a, a fantasy. Obviously, in my case, it's something I wanted to do. Right. Quite, but it, it took me a while to, to realise that. You know that it, um, I did want. I did want to act it out. I suppose for some other people, it it might just again, you know, as you say, remain at the fantasy level. So. Yeah, no, I, I find that I find that absolutely fantasy, fascinating. So, colorectal health is a real yeah. issue for, but for everyone. I mean, and it's not something we talk about at all. 
it's really not something we talk about. And I think, you know, you just think about your, your local GP setting, you know, that's probably the first place you'll go to if you've got something. And, you know, some people might never have shown their butt to the GP, to anyone almost, you know. I mean, it's absolutely, absolutely possible. And it can be really you know really sort of embarrassing nerve-wracking particularly you know we have these programs like embarrassing bodies and in a way that can help because it kind of destigmatizes certain conditions but it also in a way it kind of like it dramatizes this as if it's oh my god when I go to the GP about my butt it's going to be like on back an embarrassing body <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah but no it's um we don't and it's, I mean, it's got, it's got health implications across the board. I and mean, people, you know, the number of men that don't go for prostate exams, of course. you know, um, and in certain communities, um, um, in, um, for example, in the African-American community mm-hmm. and also in the black British community, there is a higher rate of death due to prostate cancer, mm-hmm. which some has been attributed to genetics, but is probably in looking at the research in large part because people aren't going and getting checked because there's stigma around going and getting checked. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a stigma around the the exams itself, and I, you know, I did a little kind of like a little test if you like um, recently because I was reading around kind of anal pap smear tests and yep. I think in North America um, I think in Canada at least it's, it's possible to get one of those and I just rang my local kind of sexual fun clinic basically as a health clinic and I said oh is it possible to get one of these um, and I gave some reasons, you know, some reasons why and they said you know it was like I was talking in foreign language really you know so I'm really sorry you don't do this. So talk talk about what that is because people will not have any idea. Yeah, so the anal pap smear test is basically uh, getting your, I guess your your rectum, um, and your anus kind of checks um, the skin cells for possibly any kind of cancer, precancerous um, kind of conditions or, or cells. Basically, it's the kind of it's potentially a kind of cancer. Um, well, because because HPV, which causes exactly. cervical cancer, it, it you know HPV is not selective in where it causes cancer. People think they, they say HPV cervical cancer, but HPV can cause it can cause anal warts, anal warts, and it can cause cancer. I mean, you know, cancer of the throat as well. Yeah, I mean, these are just you know certainly when I was at school, you just would never have known about this, even in se- sexual health you know lessons and it just applies to women as well as men it's not just a, definitely not just a, a gay man thing um but of course men are you know the, the idea of a pap smear that's very kind of feminine language you know yeah. and i think a lot of men would be very reluctant to even the language we use to describe the kind of health checkups that we want it's important that they're kind of inclusive and they don't just automatically kind of um push people away probably it would be good for them to, to have checkups. But And so do we have che- a, a, a mechanism for checkups here at all? As far as I know, no, certainly not in the NHS. Right. So obviously, which is our, you know, method of getting free healthcare. I think it's possible if you go private. Um, but I do think, you know, particularly bottoms, so, you know, people who have receptive anal, anal intercourse, it should be, you know, we should be able to get it for free, I think. Um, I just think it's that it's another anxiety, you know, it's anxiety going around in your mind and it impacts your ability sometimes to have to actually enjoy it when you are 
when you're having sex because you're thinking oh no you know what about the risks you know and so i mean that's the other part is when people you know you have the same issue around safe sex as you do with anything else right Mm -hmm. um and so much has been made of how so many diseases are more easily transmittable through anal intercourse than yeah. other types of sexuality. People don't understand why. Um, no. You know. It, it... No, they don't. I think they just assume it's uh, well, you know, you know the old things about HIV and AIDS, you know, being a gay disease, and they just assume it's because you're somehow a sexual deviant. I suppose they don't quite understand the mechanics of uh, you know why why the rest is particularly sensitive and you know thin linings and so on and um you know different bloods mixing and so on um but obviously that you know things are better i think a little bit like that now and i think don't quote me on this but i do think uh you know i used to give blood and i think it's now possible you know there used to be a time when gay men couldn't give blood full stop um and i think you know as long as you can prove your hiv negative i think i'm i'm pretty sure you're able to give blood now you you are you know? um- but but in actual fact, the fastest growing population for HIV is is in women, not you mm. know, I mean it, it's no longer it's no longer um, gay men. I think it's, I think it's important for people to understand that that when we're talking about health, we're talking about you know bloodborne diseases because linings tear more easily. I mean, that's such yeah. an easy concept for people to get. It is. I know. I suppose people just think of people who would you know, anal sex or just something that you know, like buggery or sodomy or something. But um, they don't know how it happens, and they just they don't consider the actual, you know, mechanisms, and they think it's a one-way street, or it should be, you know, that it just it's the expelling thing. Um, yeah, and they don't understand what an erogenous zone it is. I mean, people exactly. often will ask the question, why would you want to bottom anyway? Well, this is interesting because I found, um, you know, people who think of bottoming, who wish who wish to keep bottoming as a verb, to say it's something that you do rather than are, you know, and that's something I've been trying to kind of push back on. Because of course, yes, some people, you know, what don't want to be defined by their sexual practices, but other people do. Um, and... I've just forgotten what I was. Hang on, where was I? Where was the game? What were you just saying about the meaning? Um, that some people don't. There's a stigma around the idea of bottoming that that really there isn't around topping. That's right. You yeah. know that somehow this is this activity itself is stigmatized. Absolutely, and I think you might. You know, when you go to you go to a GP and you you know you want to talk about. Um, your butt health there is a great kind of anxiety that I've got so if I admit that I am you know bottoming or have receptive anal sex they're going to make all sorts of assumptions about me um you know I'm going to have to come out twice essentially um you know and go, they're, they're going to know that um, they'll probably think I'm gay because you know won't I won't think essentially that you can just have men who have sex with men or it could just be part of a versatile you know versatile or um, you know, varied um, sexual life, but they'll make these, you know, healthcare providers might make these assumptions about me. And then what kind of language are they going to use to talk to their colleagues? You know, if I need to be referred, you know, you've got, it's not just that kind of initial primary care setting, it's uh, all those sort of 
Pain. Well, yeah, and I mean, it, it, there's a, there's um you know pegging is on the rise as well. Yeah, and um you can have some issues in common. I mean, obviously, um, disease issues are lowered um, as long as you're use, using a toy and you're cleaning it well, and well, preferably using a toy with a condom, guys. I say this because it's much better to do it that way. It just lowers the risk of disease. Yeah. And infection, and and you can't because where shit is, infection is more possible, and it just that's just a fact of life. But um, but pegging's become more popular, and and people who enjoy that are much more reluctant to talk about that with the GP because of the assumption of what that right. means, what that means about them. There's all this stigma around what this says about who you are. Exactly. Exactly. And I think for a lot of people, that is, that's hugely important. Um, and I guess, I guess for, for others, the kind of people that I've been, I've been looking at and, and studying, of course, it does say something about you because you do identify with your sexual practices. But even so, there is still that stigma and, and shame around talking about what you like doing. You know, I think it's, it's really, I mean, it's historical, really, this idea that, you know, you can still, yes, you might want to talk about what you do in bed, but the idea about enjoying it, you know, and, <laughs> you know, yeah. admitting to enjoying something. I've, I've even had this, you know, in talking about the kind of work that I do. You know, it's, there are people who work about on bottoming and bottoms, you know, from a cultural studies angle, like I do, but, you know, talking about it, you know, sometimes they're sort of embarrassed you know titter or giggle or something you know it's um it's as if you know these are off off bounds and also it's very often there it's not academics who are doing the giggling it's just you know random people that i happen to talk about about my work and they're like really what people will fund you to do stuff like that well and and and, and why people don't understand why it's so important mm. i mean you know to be comfortable in ourselves and to be confident and without shame is exactly it and impacts part of, every part of life. I think this is, you know, when I talk about belonging, and you know, belonging is one of the key concepts in the work that I'm doing. And obviously, it it means you know, kind of group social groups and your your friendship networks and your kind of identity groups. But it's also it's embodied. It's what you know how you relate to your own body and how you feel a sense of belonging in your body. And I think for you know, for, for bottoms and those who bottom, who do bottom, that could be really, really difficult. It can be lifelong trying to belong with the fact, you know, I often go on Reddit and, you know, the amount of threads on there, which, are, you know, I enjoy, I, I kind of bottom, but I'm really, I'm really ashamed of it. I feel guilty every time I do it. Yeah. You know, and that's, to me, that's, it, it doesn't only speak about stigma and shame. It speaks about non-belonging. Yeah. You know, no, non-belonging it, in your own body. Yeah, being being separate from that, from part of you, you see people disavow parts of themselves completely, um, mm. and and that and that impacts all over. It. I mean, I guess sometimes people um, de-emphasize the importance of the, this kind of an area because they don't see it as they say, "Well, that's you know your sexual life." Like, yeah, that's just wow. a small. But when you're talking about identity, you're talking about it impacting every aspect of who you are. If you don't sit comfortably in yourself, you don't sit comfortably anywhere. No. And I know that, you know, it doesn't come to you instantly. 
I mean, that's the other thing. Mm-hmm. There needs to be a great sense of patience and graciousness, I think, with, yeah. with, with people, you know, um, but it, it takes time. And I think also to be, I guess, to have some realistic expectations, I suppose, about sex um, and that it won't always feel like you're, you know, like amazing. It won't always feel, you know, sometimes, you know, even like a lot of the time, sometimes you go, oh, okay, <laughs> that was that. And, you know, maybe you didn't feel great afterwards about it. And that's something you can think about, also not beat yourself up about, you know, that, oh God, I'm such a bad person because I have all these feelings about insecurities about myself. And that's, and that, what I think what you say is it's, it's a process and giving yourself yeah. some grace in the process. Mm-hmm. And I, I work a lot um, with um, BDSM yeah. and, and fetishes and, and have my own journey with that yeah. and get, getting past the shame of the things that I desired. I mean, mm-hmm. was, was a process. It was a huge process. Um, and, and, but the difference when I finally did mm-hmm. The difference in my confidence and my ability, not talking about it. Like mm. people think that when you say the, the difference is like, oh, so you felt like you could ask for what you want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that wasn't what it was about. It was just the difference in my whole being. Mm. I was no longer ashamed of my desires. Yeah. Was that I was confident in far more places and much more comfortable and suddenly understood what it meant to say, actually, I don't really give a shit what other people think. No, it's not there. You know, it's not, it's not, it's not personal. And and I think this is why, you know, there, there are always kind of cultural crusaders against porn and erotica and stuff that I think particularly when you, you know, I've, I've kind of studied this from, um, you know, the get the gay bottom angle, BDSM stuff, you know, a lot of kind of um, submissive, um, and bottoms yeah it's weird isn't it but they get they kind of get lumped into the bdsm thing and i've tried to suggest that um, one of the reasons why that's so is we don't actually have an adequate language to talk about that yes it's a fetish, actually when it's just you know when you go outside of outside of the west and outside of our current moment you know it wasn't considered very odd at all but i do think that you know particularly the social media sharing sites like tumblr twitter and reddit to some extent um they are They've been incredibly important for people trying to get a sense that they're not alone in what they have. There are others out there that have it. And also that there's um, there's some visual imagery. I do think that, you know, porn and erotica, they are also creative outlets for people to think about things, to create, collate um, their kind of, their internal world, I suppose, and to share that with others get validation from others that they what they're thinking and feeling um is shared by others that yes people respond to it and yeah. it's different kind of i mean i suppose when some people think about porn you know they just think of someone watching a video or something as a very kind of one-way street but this is something very different you know what i'm talking about it's um it's very sort of um interactive uh, yeah. and, so, and social and sociable. Um, yeah, and, well, and that's one of the positive uses, you know, and I, I at one point was asked to write an article um, for Frolic Me, which is a female-led porn site. Right. Fabulous porn site. Um, um, but about the uses of porn, healthy uses of porn, you know, yeah. um, and, and 
that, you know, there can be a social aspect, there can be an exploration aspect with a partner. And then you, when you start talking about belonging, if you're creating something that, that you can get some community acknowledgement for, I don't think people realize how hard it is for people who don't get any community acknowledgement for the most important parts of their being because they're used to, and I guess this, we're talking about people who identify as bottoms as opposed yeah, to yeah, bottoming. Right. Definitely. Yeah. Because I don't think people in dominant culture groups really understand the acknowledgement they're getting from community. Exactly. And this is one of the things, and you know, partly why I'm so fascinated about these historical groups. I've just done an article about um, Quint's, fairies and queens and how the twinkers are kind of as a category if you like is often made to bear some of the cultural legacies from the queens and fairies of you know mid-century and 20th century America and in Britain um, and but you have these communities where people understood understood what you were like uh, there were other people quite like you um, and that was really important and I think that that has been lost and I said obviously you have to bear communities gays but you know twinks certainly aren't like that and you know as far as i'm concerned a twink is is mostly just a, a kind of body type and it's age bracketed and you know they're not you know sometimes then people assume that they're kind of like fair bottoms but they're not all like that but of course what we've lost uh, certainly in the kind of group that i'm looking at is any kind of coherent um, which i'm sad to hear that i mean because i'm older i'm 59 so um it, you know uh, my sexuality emerged in the 70s and and, wow, and yeah. 80s so the people that i ran around with you know yes. the, the gay boys that i hung out with i had, were the fairies you know uh, I, I was you know i had a group of friends who were that's how they identified really oh that's so cool and I had no idea that they were gone because, you know, yeah. I, I've moved from that area of the world and I've been involved in other things. And yeah. I realize now when you say that, though, that I haven't heard about twinks and fairies in a long time. Well, twinks are still, I mean, that's still a thing. But but it's young, young, young people. Very yeah, young. Exactly. Yeah. One of the things I've been looking at is the kind of, you know, I suppose in the olden days, you might have called a twinker chicken probably although that was often mm. considered to be underage yeah uh, but um you know the what queens and fairies they weren't age bracketed in the same no. way that twinkers. No. and you know but what was interesting is that there were certain assumptions about gender and gender expression and sexual role that um have been lost and and there's a lot of they were saying earlier a lot of pushback among many gays for doing that uh, but what one of the things i've been um i did i published an article on um, two boys and boy wives, which has you know had a lot of views. That, um, I think today I checked thirteen thousand people have, have read that. I've published wow. That. Yeah, and I think a lot of them, you know, because I've been having social media um, exchanges with people who do identify like that. And you know, this was perhaps the first time that someone actually taken them seriously. I mean, some people in the in the kind of in sphere uh, have, have been taking the piss out of it, <laughs> but other but other people. Um, you know, kind of people who would identify as a pussy boy, boy wife, you know, kind of submissive, feminine, feminine kind of bottom. Um, it's it's been really, really important. And these are new ways, I guess, of people trying to create the kind of identity that was lost when Queens, Fairies, Pansies, Nellies, yeah, uh, they all they all kind of went. Um, and I mean, and and we understand why they went. They went in response to. A high level of persecution so there were they were a reaction 
and an effort to get mainstream to calm down and relax. Because um, I always say to people, you know, it's like if you look at somebody who's bi or pansexual um, and you talk about older generations not being able to accept that, but why can they accept now? But they'll accept gay people, but they won't accept somebody who is essentially more fluid. Mm-hmm. They'll accept gay people because they can just substitute in their head a man and a woman get married. OK, but if you have two gay men or two gay women, they can they will have the same structure and they can substitute that. They can they can kind of move slowly and get their head around the fact yeah. it's still one person liking one one yeah. type of person. But anything in between becomes mm. challenging when you challenge gender. That's challenging. Mm. It's very hard for mainstream to get their head around. So you can understand why. Politically, it was a um, smart move. It was. I think it was. It was definitely. It was definitely smart and, and useful and helped for a lot of gay men who didn't identify with the kind of fairy or queen image. Um, and it was a class thing as well. There'd been mm-hmm. a massive kind of well since the thirties, really, or even before, middle class push, a middle class fear, and you know, understandable fear. But if they were too kind of um, out there, if you like. Um, and they would be spotted and there would be consequences. Right. Um, but obviously then that went, you know, we had the clone as well. I mean, obviously it's great because you live through, you know, your lots of this. Like, um, but, and that was doing a similar thing. It was trying to kind of counter stereotypes, I suppose, of what you were supposed to be. And I think it, it's, it's fair sometimes to say that that was sort of a straight worldview imposed on, on gays. But also I do. I wouldn't I wouldn't always run with that because I do think that a lot of it was actually internally created by well, stigma and shame and it was you know it was um and and then this is why we we're now in a situation where we have you know hashtag no femmes you know mask for mass um because you know for, for gay men the kind of the versatile masculine presenting gay man is the is the gold standard um in America and Britain and you know, Western European countries. And, and there's, there's pressure to conform to that type. And for me, there's such a sadness around the fact that as marginalized groups, which anybody who is not heteronormative is, mm. that we pressure our own people to conform yeah. to some stereotype, that we don't make room for people to identify how they identify is as, mm. as if we've forgotten that, mm. you know, w- what it's like to be in, in a world that doesn't accept us. Mm. I agree. I mean, I think, I don't know, I don't know where to go <laughs> where to end that because it's a different, it's a different kind of um, topic. Um, but there is definitely a, a template now. Well, there, there, there certainly, certainly was when, you know, I was growing up and coming out, but what it was expected to be be gay um you know and that you know bottoming or topping was something that would probably be included as part of a you know a fairly versatile sexual repertoire and there was definitely a pattern laid out that this is how you should be um and I know you know I know that there are people that really struggled with that and that that, that wasn't the pattern that they wanted to to adopt, um, which is why I think, you know, it's so important to think of the arts, to think of, uh, you know, porn and erotica and social media as ways that people can can kind of 
use and utilize, if you like, to create those modes of belonging um, for, the, for themselves and for others. I think that's amazing. I, 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 given, given how often social media is a way of excluding. Definitely, yeah, of course. Well, you of know, course. Yeah, yeah. You know, it, it's, it's always nice to think of it as a way of actually creating community instead of. It's funny because there's a, on Reddit, there used to few groups, there's, a, there's an Ask Gay Bros one, which I mean, they all have thousands of followers. And then there's a, there's an, a Reddit, sub, subreddit, Tops and Bottoms. And the Tops and Bottoms one is really interesting because you'll get people who obviously do quite identify quite strongly with one or the other. Whereas the Ask Gay Bros one, um, oh no, you, you know, bo- identify as a bottom or as, as a top, that's a throwback, you know, that's, that's going back turning back to decades of gay history um that you know they're, they're very much kind of privileged i suppose that the more versatile sexual identity which obviously works for them um, but it works for some people and doesn't for others, for I, mean, others. But, but I mean but there's space somewhere like reddit to have different subreddits and i think it's a, it's a brilliant way of getting people together um the red reddit is definitely somewhere to I've, I've got no, you know, no end of insight actually from reading about people's questions, um, their fantasies, um, their experiences um, from Reddit, and it, and it's a way for people to connect with one another, um, which is fantastic. So, if you had to give two pieces of advice that you think is most important in this area, mm. what would they be? I would say, I mean, I would say, while there's immense pressure to to think of sex role, uh, you know, what you do in bed and gender expression as two completely separate things, I think while that works for some people, I do think you shouldn't feel if if you feel that. Hang on, I, I'm thinking for me they're connected in some way. Don't don't give in to that pressure to just mentally separate that in your own mind. Mm-hmm. You know, play play with. Um, ways in which for you they might be connected um, so obviously the people that I'm thinking of particularly of femme bottoms you know think about that in creative ways so that that's one thing I, I think I would say um, the second thing um, is I suppose don't you, you know be be proud of if you're a bottom and you you identify as that be, I guess, be proud of that and own it, you know, because tops will really like it. <laughs> if you do, if you're not shy and you don't, you know, you're not sort of a bit missy-ish, if you like, about about being a bottom, you know, if you like if you like cock like that, you know, own it, basically. Um, don't give in to that pressure again to feel, oh, I'm going to identify, let's say, as a verse bottom because I think I ought to in case, you know, someone that might not be interested in me if I pretend that I might like talking as well. Um, so those those two bits of advice like, are, are both different things of so not I'm, giving in to pressure. To I identify lo- as something you don't want to just, just own, I think, I think the own it statement is a really important one. Um, you own it, your confidence is attractive. Your, your yeah. lack of ambivalence is attractive. If you're versatile, you own it. If you're not, you yeah, own it. Exactly, exactly. And that's the other thing. I think, you know, if you're versatile, if you're a verse top, if you're a verse bottom, say you're versatile, you know, and then if, you, if, you're, if you're a top, if you're bottom, um, again, say it, you know. Um, I think, yeah, that's, 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 that's really brilliant. 
So if people want to find you, mm. where, where do they find you? So um, I have a website, um, but it's just got a kind of list of my publications and stuff. That's www.richardpitneyorgu.com. And I'm guessing my name will be on a little blurb by the podcast so people can know how to spell it. Um, it's R- Romanian, if anyone's interested. Um, and uh, I've got a Twitter handle, so that's at rvitneyorgu. And I've also just started a new Twitter um, exploring kind of pre-mask to mask um, sexual identities and roles which is at queens and men um, so if you're oh, interested so I'm kind of posting the kind of stuff about queens and fairies um, from when my archival stuff um, so that you might find that interesting as well brilliant thank you so much this has been great thank you Laurie it's been really wonderful to be invited so guys um, and gals and those in between next week will be the letter C. If you have a topic you want heard, please send in a note of the topic or the question to Beth at drlauribethbisbee.com. If there's a speaker you want, please also recommend the speaker. We are still running the raffles for reviews because people are god awful in doing reviews. And I get it. I get it. It's a sex podcast and people really don't like to associate their name with sex podcasts sometimes but it is a monthly raffle if you do a review send me an email so i can see that you did it and i could put your email address in the raffle it's for 30 minutes free with me to talk about anything you want um and uh, that's not available outside of the raffle anymore so if you guys want that you know if it's one month where you're the only person who writes a review then you're guaranteed to get it so do pitch in and write a review. They are actually really helpful. So I look forward to seeing you all next week. Have a good one and stay safe, please. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the A to Z of sex or the A to Z of sex if you're in North America. If you enjoyed the show, please do leave a review wherever it was you listened to it, but especially head over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Reviews really help the show get out there. If you want to support my work, you can support it through my Patreon page. That's Dr. Lori Beth Bisbee on Patreon.com. You can also head over to DrLaurieBethBisbee.com and subscribe to my free mailing list, which will keep you updated as to the activities I am getting up to and any special appearances. For people who subscribe to the Patreon, there are special broadcasts, merch, um, and the opportunity to get discounted tickets to a lot of the events that I do. Knowledge gives you power. The more you know, the better your relationships, the better your satisfaction and joy. If you've got suggestions for the show, comments or questions, do email at lauribeth at drlauribethbisbee.com. And I will try and incorporate them. Have a wonderful week filled with loads of joy.